Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for June 22nd, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film senior writer Ben Pearson, and joining me today are writers Y. Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. All right, guys, let's jump into the news today. Let's start it off with Roseanne. Uh, HT, what's the latest in the ongoing Roseanne saga? So Roseanne will go on without Roseanne. Uh, the Roseanne series, which are canceled after Roseanne Barr, the star and executive producer, uh, set up, fired off a, a series of racist tweets, um, will be moving on forward at ABC as a spinoff tentatively titled The Connors. Uh, it will star everyone on the main cast except for Roseanne Barr, which includes John Goodman, Laurie Metcalf, Sarah Gilbert, uh, Lacey Gorenson, and Michael Fishman, and they will reprise the characters in the Connor family. So um, the spinoff series won't feature Roseanne Barr in any creative or financial capacity and uh, has been ordered for a 10 episode uh, series this fall that will take Roseanne's place in um, the Tuesday 8 p.m. slot. So they're really wasting no time. This is coming to TV this fall. There's it's like only a few months from now. So um, yeah, I mean it's it's surprising to me that they're moving forward with this, but I guess because 
they managed to find a way to um, separate Roseanne entirely because I think that the big concern for a while was even if they made a spinoff, she was still going to profit off of it because she was like a creator and executive producer of the show. But it sounds like that has been uh, pushed aside, right? Like you said, there, she doesn't yes. have any involvement at all in this version. Yeah, she has uh, stepped back from uh, having any involvement. Uh, the executive producers, Tom Werner and Roseanne Barr, released a statement uh, saying that Warner Entertainment would produce the spinoff for ABC, but Barr would not have any involvement. Okay, well, there you go. Uh, I mean, I think I, I saw a lot of fun ideas, and I think we actually talked about some uh, on the podcast about, like, potential ways to keep this show going, you know, with, with the, this set of characters uh, meeting up with a different set of characters from a different show or something. But this seems like the most um, the most boring way to go about doing it. But I guess maybe if people are, are still interested in those characters, uh, then they're going to have a new show to watch this fall. So we'll see. And I've seen people already speculating, like, how long until ABC brings Roseanne on as in, a, in a guest spot role or something. Um, HT, do you think she's actually going to... Uh, do you think they're going to kill off her character? Or do you think that ABC is going to leave the door open for potentially um, bringing her back in some capacity? Because America has a pretty short memory. They do. Um, ABC actually released a sort of short description of what they'll do. They described it as a sudden turn of events, which, in, again, is incredibly vague. But it feels a little bit more ominous, I think, than just kind of leaving the door open for her to come back. So I am on the side of them probably killing her off. It seems like the best way to do if they really want to separate uh, themselves from Roseanne Barr as a person. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, I think I think that'll probably be the case. And besides, I'm not that surprised about them moving forward with the show just because it was such a massive hit. And there is still some goodwill around it despite everything that um, Roseanne Barr has become. Right. All right. Well, let's move on to a different TV series, and that is The Terror Season 2. This is a, a renewal that I don't think any of us really saw coming. Chris, you watched the first season of this AMC series uh, and liked it quite a bit. Tell us about the second season. Uh, yes. Yeah, so the, the first season of The Terror was uh, completely self-contained, and it was adapting uh, a novel by Dan Simmons of the same name. And uh, it, this is sort of a spoiler, but not really because it's based on a true story. But, you know, everyone on the show dies by the end of the series because it's based on uh, this uh, 1800s expedition to the uh, to the Arctic where everything went very wrong. But they, they add a supernatural element to the story, to the true story. Uh, so, you know, with that in mind, while I was reviewing the terror, because I got the episodes uh, months before the show actually aired, I had assumed like this is like a one and done sort of miniseries. But AMC is actually they're turning it into an anthology show, sort of like uh, American Horror Story, where every new season is a completely different story. And so they just renewed the terror for season two and um, season two will be set during World War II and center on an uncanny specter that menaces a Japanese-American community from its home in Southern California to the internment camps to the war in the Pacific. So uh, this is very interesting. I mean, you know, it, it's it's a touchy subject, and I really hope they approach it in a respectful way. But at the same time, you know, I, I haven't really seen many shows or movies that focus on this particularly dark history, dark part of American history where uh, during World War II, you know, the American government interned Japanese Americans in these camps. And it's this 
blemish on history. And it's also uh, unfortunately sort of timely with what's going on in America right now. So, you know, for them to uh, have this as their subject for the, the next season is it's both gutsy. And I'm also hopeful they, they approach it in the right way because, you know, if, if done wrong, it could backfire, but as a fan of the first season, I'm very excited to see where they go with this. So the showrunners for the first season are not coming back for season two. Is that right? Uh, yes, they're they're moving on to other things. Um, two of the people who were the executive producers on the first season are now moving into the showrunner position. And Ridley Scott is also still involved as an executive producer. Okay, well, yeah, we're looking forward to a, a surprising second season from the terror. I mean, this is like anthology shows seem to be all the rage right now. Um, Chris, with as self-contained as that first season was, do you think they're going to try to uh, recapture some of the same tone? Or d- does it feel from the description of the second season to you like they're going to maybe just change things up completely? W- what do you think? I mean, the only thing I can think of is maybe every season will be historical because, you know, the first season was in the 1800s and this is World War II. That's the only thing I, I see. It seems like they're keeping. I mean, they obviously can't really keep the same cast because this season seems to be focusing on Japanese Americans, whereas the first season was, you know, all white guys from England. So it won't be like American Horror Story in that respect where they bring over the same people. But uh, yeah, I'm not really sure. I mean, the first season, I love the first season, but it's very bleak and hopeless. And I don't know if they're going to keep that angle where, you know, everyone dies by the end of the season. If that's like they're going to be their running theme. I don't know if audience will be able to put up with that too much where every, <laughs> every season is just watching all the characters die slowly. But I guess that's <laughs> that's sort of what Game of Thrones is, and people love that, so maybe they will be doing that. I don't know. <laughs> that's a good point. Uh, all right, so we've spent a lot of time this week talking about the different uh, movie ticket subscription services that are floating around out there and all the different options and stuff. HT, we haven't really talked about Cinemia lately. What is the latest with them? So Cinemia uh, recently released a new spate of plans that uh, kind of comes on the heels of MoviePass's deal yesterday in which it would introduce surge pricing for options like bringing a friend or going to 3D or IMAX. Uh, and now Cinemia has sort of responded to that by announcing a family plan. So you can purchase plans for up to from two to six people. And those the plans vary based off of how many tickets you plan to buy per month and how many people per month. But the cheapest plan is $8.99 for two people for two tickets. And then the most expensive plan is $89.99 for six people for a total of 12 tickets, including 3D films and IMAX films. So Cinemia is one of those companies that sort of seems like um, they're uh, like nipping at the heels of a lot of the the bigger players in this uh, realm right now. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're sort of like we were sort of joking a little bit in the Slack how they sort of seem like they're they're the people who are like piping up during the conversation, even though nobody really invited them to the table, so to speak. But uh, I mean, I, I have to say that I think and you laid all this out really well in the in the article that people can click on in the show notes and visit it at slashfilm.com. But I, I think this is worth talking about because we've talked a lot about the AMC plan and the movie pass plan and stuff, but Cinemia really seems like they're offering 
their offerings rather might be the best deal for families out there. And that's like, I assume we have a lot of families, people who are in families listening to this episode and, you know, some of the AMC stuff might not, um, might not work as well for them, but it seems like Cinemia, that's trying, that's like the niche that they're trying to fill. Do you get that vibe, HD? I definitely think so. They actually introduced their bring a friend feature before uh, MoviePass did about a month ago. So now they're kind of trying to get in on that hype of MoviePass, uh, like you said. But I do think these family plans are more conducive to actually bringing groups in um, to see a movie because that's, I think, the big drawback of MoviePass. I have one, as do my mom and my dad separately. And sometimes we go to see a movie together, but it's kind of a pain to have to buy tickets separately and then be like oh i'm gonna get this seat number seat you get this number seat right next to me just hope no one else buys it right right when i'm buying it so that's that's the annoying thing about movie pass and even like bring your friend does let you allow you one person but it's not you know a whole family or just like even a group of friends and this family plan is great not just for family but for friends as well yeah, yeah, for sure. So I'm, I'm sure we'll be keeping everyone uh, apprised of all of the latest updates in the movie ticket subscription service wars that are going on right now. Um, Chris, we don't really talk too much about casting stories on this uh, podcast because, frankly, they're not that interesting. But this one I thought was kind of cool. Um, tell us about Anthony Mackie and Frank Grillo's latest project. Uh, yes, yeah, so Anthony Mackie and Frank Grillo, who have both appeared in the MCU, are joining forces for a new Netflix movie called Point Blank. It's a remake of a French movie of the same name. Um, it's about a uh, a nurse who has to, um, he basically gets forced into a life of crime when uh, a, a, a criminal kidnaps his wife and holds her hostage. Um, I haven't seen the original film, but uh, I'm interested in this because, uh, you know, I like both Anthony Mackie and Frank Grillo. They're both um, good at what they do, respectively. And I'm I'm most interested because Joe Lynch is directing the film. And um, he's not a, a household name, but he's... Uh, he he makes these really cool uh, indie genre films. He made uh, a film called Everly starring um, Salma Hayek, which I don't think a lot of people have seen, but it's streaming on Netflix and it's it's a very interesting action-packed film. And he also made this really good horror comedy called Mayhem, which is streaming on Shudder right now. So I really like his work. And while I'm not always a fan of the idea of like, you know, remaking a foreign film so soon after it was released in English. Like the original film came out in, I think, 2010, which is not that long ago. Uh, you know, the, the Joe Lynch involvement has me interested in this. Yeah, I actually saw the French version of this movie, Point Blank, uh, when it came out in 2010. And it, it strikes me very much, or struck me then, I haven't revisited since, but it very much as like a uh, like a B-movie, basically. And that kind of sounds like what Joe Lynch is best known as for as a filmmaker, you know, sort of taking like uh, maybe concepts that are like maybe high high uh high concept premises and um applying his certain style to them is that right i don't think i've really seen too many of joe lynch's movies but it sounds like you're a fan yeah he he definitely traffics in very entertaining b movies like everly is is set entirely basically in one apartment where uh salma hayek has to keep (laughs) shooting people who keep coming trying in to kill her and mayhem is set in this world where 
um, this this uh, virus turns people into you know violent lunatics, and it's set in an office building, so it's like coworkers attacking each other. So these are very like high concept, silly ideas, but he 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 knows how to handle them really well. So he's I I, I like what he does. Yeah, Point Blank is uh, I mean it's an interesting movie. It's like this guy, his wife is kidnapped in front of him, and it's like he has to go all across a, a whole city to get her back and like do these tasks for the people who are who have kidnapped her so it sounds like maybe this is an opportunity for him to sort of expand his scope a little bit from those like one room or one building setting kind of uh kind of movies that he's been working in lately um and i really like anthony mackie and frank grillo uh grillo is one of those guys that I think like Lynch, like you were talking about, he's not really a household name, but he always does solid work. So I'm, I'm excited about this pairing and uh, we'll have to see how this one pans out. The only thing that, that I'm slightly hesitant about is that it sounds kind of similar to another French movie called Sleepless Night that came out the year a year later in 2011. And that movie was just remade uh, into a film called Sleepless that starred Jamie Foxx. And it, so like the American remake was apparently terrible and i didn't see it but uh so i can't speak to it exactly um you know with with any sort of authority on my part but um i I got really terrible reviews and was you know nowhere near as good as the original according to uh anyone who actually saw it so hopefully that uh that won't be the case with this movie but we'll have to see what happens there uh let's move on to our next story and that is uh, another netflix project uh chris tell us about the renewal of a uh, popular netflix tv series Oh yeah, so Dear White People, um, the Netflix show that is inspired by the same, the film of the same name, uh, just got renewed for a third season. There was a little um, uncertainty there after the second season if it was going to come back because uh, for a long while there, Netflix was never canceling any of their shows. They they sort of built up this reputation as you know the net the network quote unquote that didn't cancel things, and then in the last few years that's changed considerably where. They are canceling things more readily. Like they had a show called Everything Sucks, which had a pretty strong internet following, but they canceled it, you know, almost like a month after they dropped it on Netflix. And that surprised a lot of people. So after season two of Dear White People ended, there was uh, this sort of assumption that maybe Netflix weren't, wasn't going to bring it back, but now they are bringing it back. And uh, in between, um, the, sh- the show's creator, who also directed the film, Justin Simeon, is um, going to be making a horror movie in between seasons, which also sounds pretty cool, called Bad Hair, which we wrote about. So, yeah. Yeah, that's great stuff. Uh, Dear White People is one of Netflix's best original shows, I think, uh, at least from the stuff that I've seen. I, I caught up with the second season uh, as soon as it debuted earlier this year, and I talked about it on a, an episode of the podcast. So you guys can go back and into the archives and listen to that if you want, but it's it's really fantastic. If you haven't got, gotten a chance to check this out yet, I would highly, highly recommend it. Uh, let's move on to our next story, and that is The Man Who Killed Don Quixote, the ongoing saga of Terry Gilliam's uh, long-delayed, long-awaited movie that he's been trying to make for like 30 years or something uh there's a new wrinkle in this uh in this film uh it, it's, it's storied history ht what's going on but a good wrinkle uh so earlier this week we reported that terry gilliam had lost the rights to the man who killed don quixote in the long and drawn out legal battle between him and his former producer paul branco who had sued him over the rights uh after a reported 
uh, after an alleged breach of contract. So um, although Gilliam had lost the court case, it turns out that he had not lost the rights. And this is due to a kind of miscommunication uh, on Paul Branco's part, the former producer, who had essentially claimed that he had won the rights back and was very boastful about it. And so a lot of outlets, including ourselves, did run with that with that statement. But um, current The Man Who Killed Don Quixote producer, Mariela Busuyevsky, I'm very sorry for mispronouncing that, uh, is here to clarify that that is not true. Terry Gilliam still holds the rights to The Man Who Killed Don Quixote and is currently looking for a U.S. distributor for the film. So how did this happen? This guy is just, did he misunderstand the legal case and he just wandered around saying that he won when he really didn't? Or what, how does something like this happen? Well, what happened was Branko did win the the Paris court case and um, Gilliam had to pay him a fine of about 10,000 euros. But the rights stayed with Gilliam because not they didn't shoot a single frame under the sh- the contract that Branko and Gilliam had originally drawn up. It was under the new the new producer. I see. So okay. because of that, the rights retain were retained by Gilliam. Okay, so he won the case, but it was just a financial payout that that he ended up winning, not the actual rights to the movie. Exactly. Okay. Okay. I gotcha. All right. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm glad that Terry Gilliam has the. I, I was joking a little bit in the our Slack channel earlier. Like at this point, it, it almost feels like all of these back and forth stories about this film are like manufactured to create drama for another documentary that may or may not be in the works about the. <laughs> I think they actually are, didn't we write about that? Do you guys know? Are they making another documentary about this? Because they they already made a really famous one called Lost in La Mancha that was about one of the early attempts to get this movie off the ground. Do you know if they're making a, a follow up documentary? They are. The, the the same guys who made the that that film are making a new one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I thought I heard that. Um, so, <laughs> you know, it's just so wild. Like, if these guys have cameras rolling this whole time, that documentary is just going to be totally insane to watch because we're sitting here writing about all this stuff, but they are going to have cameras in there and, like, get Gilliam's reactions in real time to all these things. Um, this is, is pretty wild. I, I don't know. I'm, and, I'm not I'm not and alleging he suffered a... a stroke this, around, this time around, too, so it was, yeah, geez, it's been God. pretty serious. <laughs> This is, yeah, man, that's going to be a hell of a documentary when it comes out one day. Um, All right, so our last story of the day is about Disneyland, and they are testing dynamic pricing models. So Pixar Pier is a new sort of a revamping that they're doing, that Disneyland is doing of their California Adventure uh, theme park out here in Southern California. It actually opens tomorrow. That's like the official opening day. But today, Friday, they are uh, allowing guests to go in one day before it officially opens to the public. The catch, of course, is they have to pay $299 to get in and spend six hours in the park. So it's basically Disney saying, let's see if people are willing to pay this. Um, dynamic pricing is is basically like what airlines do, where uh, if, you know, they'll sort of like uh, change the prices based on how many people are going to be in that park that day based on their early projections. And like, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll lower the prices if uh, they want people to more people to be in. Um, But they're, they're always trying to strike this perfect balance of not having huge crowds in the park because big crowds mean longer wait times and longer wait times mean 
lower guest satisfaction overall. So uh, it's all about like maximizing their their profits basically. But it, it's kind of an interesting thing that they're using uh, this dynamic pricing as like a test for Pixar Pier because it makes us wonder, you know, what kind of thing they could do for Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, which is the new Star Wars themed theme park that they're or land, I guess, that they have uh, that it's set to open next year. So like, do you think that they could? I mean, I know you guys probably aren't as big. I was hoping that Jacob or Peter would be on this episode because those are like the two big theme park guys that we have at Slash Film. But do you guys, uh, even as maybe not regular theme park goers, do you think that um, that Star Wars fans would pay, you know, $1,000 a day for a limited attendance preview of the Star Wars Galaxy, uh, Galaxy's Edge parks? Do you think that, that Disney could do something like that and actually, um, <laughs> like, I guess, get away with it? Unless part of that ticket involves remaking The Last Jedi. <laughs> oh God. Um, I I don't know. Um, a thousand dollars is a lot, but people have shelled out more for less, and I think that you know part of that immersive experience a lot of Star Wars fans would really enjoy. Yeah, I mean that that's like completely speculative on my part. Disney has no, they've not announced anything. Just to be clear, they've not announced that they're going to charge thousand dollars a day for a limited attendance thing. I was just wondering if like that might be, you know, if if doing going down this dynamic uh, pricing testing model road is. Uh, if at the end of that road, something like that actually lays at the end. Um, I, I wonder if uh, if they could do something like that because like Universal Studios has been using dynamic pricing since the beginning of this year, fluctuating prices, like I said, based on those projected crowd levels. Um, Chris, do you have any thoughts about uh, these tactics that uh, Disney is testing out here? Well, I mean, we can all agree that Disney needs more money. So, um, <laughs> uh, no, I, I don't. I don't know. Like, I, I'm not going to say I, I I dislike theme parks. I just, I mean, I don't live anywhere near Disney or, you know, so I, I have no excuse to go. And uh, I don't know. Like, I don't I think can't I can't imagine you at a theme park, Chris. I, I did go. I went to Disney and Universal Studios when I was a kid because my family won a cruise on the big red boat, which doesn't even exist anymore. But we, we went to. Disney and, and Universal, and I liked Universal Studios a lot more, but all the stuff I liked at Universal is gone now, like the Jaws ride and King Kong. That stuff's all gone, so I don't really care. That's that's where I am on, on this on this situation. Well, yeah, maybe I can get uh, Peter or Jacob to chime in sometime next week if they're uh, back on the show and see if they have any additional uh, uh, observations to make as like diehard theme park uh, lovers, basically the exact opposite of Chris on that spectrum. So, <laughs> um, all right, I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of Slash Film Daily. Before we go, where can people find more of your work online? HT, let's start with you. You can find me every day at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at htranbui. Chris? Uh, I'm also at SlashFilm, and I'm on Twitter at cevangelista413. You can find me at SlashFilm as well. You can find me on Twitter at benpairs, and you can find more about all of the stories we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find at SlashFilm.com. You can subscribe to SlashFilm Daily on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, or concerns to us at peter at SlashFilm.com and be sure to remember to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. 
rate and review the podcast on iTunes if you can. Tell your friends about the show and spread the word. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you on Monday.